Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Cabin Boy Minute. We had the pleasure of speaking with none other than Anne Magnuson, who plays Callie, the six-armed, blue-skinned goddess in our beloved Cabin Boy. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to Anne Magnuson and have her share stories of not only her time filming Cabin Boy, but her career in general. And I truly hope you go to the episode notes to find links to follow all that is Anne Magnuson and learn more about her and follow her art throughout the years. And thank you so much, Anne, for being a part of Cabin Boy Minute. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, interview with Callie. today here on Cabin Boy Minute, uh, among being the six-armed goddess Callie in our beloved Cabin Boy, has a storied career that spans all aspects of the creative arts, including film, TV, music, performance art, visual art, writing, and everything else upon this whirling orb we call Earth. It's next to impossible to summarize in a simple introduction such a vivacious person. How can you possibly (laughs) live a life as amazing as hers and still be humble enough to find time to talk to some cabin boy nerds? We cannot thank (laughs) you enough for joining us. The inimitable Anne Magnuson. Hello. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Beautiful. My public awaits. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) they do oh my i mean honestly diving into callie your character in cabin boy was kind of the gateway to all that is ann magnuson for me anyhow you know yes it's i think that's a popular portal it's very crowded (laughs) millions are squeezing through that portal it's a fine portal to be in i mean with all the things you've done i mean all the movies all the tv the musical career i mean how do you define yourself or should we not even ask that question you know i probably should get something very concise i'll steal somebody else's description of themselves was interdisciplinary Mm. artist interdisciplinary artist and then i could get more elaborate but i don't have my thesaurus handy so uh, just cool and a person who likes to stay busy and be engaged and have fun and spread joy and and get out the angst when need be definitely i mean That's, is there is there like one particular area that you feel is like closest to your soul is it like the music the acting any bit of it or well i do like um when i'm not losing money at it i do like <laughs> on my own shows that combine all those things so i could be a writer Mm. i could have be in a band i could have spoken word i could it could be theatrical there could be film elements i like a circus (laughs) (laughs) so um but you know singing in a in a heavy metal band as i did at one point vulcan death grip which was a parody for five minutes into the rehearsal and then it was (laughs) Wow, this is so much fun. This is not a parody anymore. I am Raven Botticelli, you motherfuckers. 
I found that yes. It was better than being an actress because I wasn't an actress being in a heavy metal band. I was in a heavy metal band. So I was living, you know, going to the rehearsals in Queens or having fights on stage with people. And I mean, it was real. I guess it was in sort of in the Andy Kaufman department. So I've done a lot of different bands and different genres. Oh, right. And, and um, did people not know like what to make of you guys uh, as Volta Oh, they Jesper? didn't know. A lot of yeah. people didn't know we were real or we were <laughs> fake, but I didn't know if we were fake or real. I mean, you know, after a while, <laughs> right. it doesn't, those things, it, the, the, the line is blurred, but we did have, a, we had a big altercation at uh, the Jesus and Mary Chain show that we opened and they weren't having us and I was taunting the audience. I never want to do this in real life. I don't like confrontation. I don't, I want everybody to be happy. I'm like a horribly codependent people pleaser. But once I got that wig on and that costume and started singing pig squeal in fear and, <laughs> and eat shit or die, it's like something takes over. And, uh, and those kinds of um, crazy moments you can't really get that in legitimate theater or mainstream TV or movies. Sometimes you can here and there, but being able to kind of create one's own alternative theater universe is a yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty groovy thing to do. It sounds visceral, you know, embodying that uh, other yes. personality up there. How, yes, yes. And, 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 and then the immediate I, feedback, yeah. Yes, sometimes that's good, and sometimes <laughs> if you're if you've got lit cigarettes hanging in your wig and having beer thrown at you, oh, that's, boy. but that's part of it. And but the good thing is, is like I'm not in that band all the time. Then the altercation that happened at the Ritz for the Jesus and Mary Chain show, the girls I got a fight with. Well, this girl jumped up on stage and t took my wig off. I jumped into the audience and. I mean, I had a really intense, I had, for reasons that are too complicated to go into, I had a big kielbasa in my hand, <laughs> and I shoved it down in her mouth, and <laughs> then our roadie, who was a real heavy metal dude, jumped in, and it got really ugly, and um, it was insane, and at the end, of the, show, end of the night, those girls were outside looking for me, waiting to oh kick my. my ass. But I had taken all the makeup off in the costume, and I had my little 60s makeup kit, you know. <laughs> Going to prayer group. See you guys. Samsonite. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God. And they were looking for me. And I, my friend, William, who helped me with a lot of these shows, William Lively, I said, just keep moving really just let's just walk really slow and then halfway down the block it's like run <laughs> sure <laughs> well i mean your audiences thank you for continuing to produce and push the envelope and do different things i mean you know during these pandemic times you started doing that wtf 2020 on youtube i mean can you tell us a little bit about the uh the show that you started producing yes um well my grandmother magnuson in Morgantown, West Virginia, made these very bizarre dolls out of pipe cleaners and stockings and head crocheted faces, and they're very strange, and some people think they're quite scary. But I decided to do a puppet show for YouTube just uh, with these two main characters and then added ones when needed. 
One is Dust Bunny, and Dust Bunny talk has a New York <laughs> accent that's uh, a little bit like, um, you know, uh, Edie Beale and Grey Gardens, but uh, but was really based on um, Chris Chris Sarandon and Dog Day Afternoon, you know, okay. the, the transsexual um, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, the wife of uh, of uh, Al Pacino. So it was sort of based on. But Dust Bunny is a bunny, and is uh, just uh, a. a is the is the repository for all the fears and anxieties uh, that we have as human beings, but particularly during a pandemic. <laughs> so that was that was Dust Bunny, and then Arzetta. Arzetta is this West Virginia gal who's uh, real practical. She just keeps it together. She's the one that's like, okay, now Dust Bunny, we're you know we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. So I was using those two characters to, and then we just I did it with my friend Adam Dugas, who, um, since we couldn't see each other, I would just videotape things on the phone and send them to him, and then we would make these little episodes, and they just evolved depending on what happened so during, cool, the, yeah. during the pandemic. So it was a way to pass the time and then to process all the fears, the anxieties, the uncertainties that I was going through, but everybody was going through. And we had a nice little following, and then after a while, it became more of a job. And then I was like, "Okay, right. let's let's wrap this up," because it was almost the end of 2020, and we got the last one out just before January 6th. Oh, right. <laughs> so it doesn't incorporate any of that. So I don't know. Me, we might do a, we might do one like a revisiting 2021, but. Maybe we should nice. wait till the end of the year. Who knows? I'm I'm kind of thinking well, about scheming other projects and other things. Too. Yeah, I mean they're, they're super cool. They're well produced too. I really enjoy them. Adam but, did a great job, and we had a lot of fun. And we're gonna we're gonna be working on a um, well. I was gonna say a long form video. I don't know if I want it to be more than 15 minutes because most people can't watch past <laughs> right. 10 seconds on TikTok, right? But we've got something we want to do that actually requires a budget of sorts so we'll see if maybe it will just have to do it without the budget again which gets to be a little exhausting after a while but other than that anything else you're uh, kind of working on for well the next, i'm uh, waiting stages? to hear about i got an offer to be on an episode of a tv show that shoots in new york but i haven't gotten the material yet but it would have nice. to be pretty damn bad for me not to go and do it <laughs> <laughs> cool um and um yeah, I've got writing. I'm, I'm writing uh, about my some things that occurred to me, uh, my experiences in the early 80s in the East Village and elsewhere. Oh, great. I know you, I was listening to some of your other interviews. You were talking about uh, maybe doing a memoir. Is that what you're talking about? Or is yeah, I mean, I've been dragging my feet on that for so long. Right. But um, I sure like to read them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been reading a lot. And uh, that's been fun. So, so you were you were talking a bit about Patty Smith and the East Village and all that, and it just reminded me of Just Kids and wanted to pick yes. that one back up again and give it another read. So good. Yes, 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 yes. I have to sort of. Well, I don't want it to be like the hat because she already did it. Sure. But I have my own ideas, Definitely. and I would like to incorporate stories about working with David Bowie in The Hunger. So. Oh sure, I mean, so so many cool stories. I'm sure a lot there are up a inside lot. there. Yeah. Yes, my problem is I writing is a solitary 
thing for the most part, and it's a lot of work. I've done it, and I've enjoyed it sometimes. I always liked magazine writing because you have instant gratification where you see it published. And, and then if I got to do travel pieces, I could, I mean, that was exciting to travel or to do characters for the photo shoots. And it was kind of like theater, but on in, in a magazine. A memoir is going to be a real time, I mean, I have to really commit myself and I keep saying I'm going to do it. And then I have these other ideas to do some kind of an art show or let's do some, <laughs> right. let's do a, a, some music. Let's do this. So I get distracted easily, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I will. I'm committed. Well, we want to read it. And I'm sure there's many of us out here that uh, would love to read it. So. Yes. Well, I better make it readable. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, there are many good stories, many good stories. Yeah. The uh, time you spent in New York in the early eighties. I mean, you saw some things there, I'm sure, and had some crazy experiences. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was nonstop. It was nonstop activity. Um, yeah. It was really exciting time. Um, I'm looking yeah. forward to John Lurie's memoir, which comes out in August. I pre-ordered it. So oh, that, that should be really good. And maybe that will... Uh, kick my butt but yeah i had many many good experiences but i've had good experience i had crazy experiences growing up in west virginia as you can imagine particularly in high school during my glam rock hillbilly hippie phase <laughs> and so yeah i kind of lived to have adventures so and cabin boy was an adventure well there you go i mean you're uh and just to mention here i mean your life and career has had so much in there that, it, again, it's hard for us to touch on every every little bit. You out there can visit com to learn more about Anne's life, career. And she's got a really cool, fun uh, online store that you can pick up some unique merch on there. So yeah. uh, definitely and check that out. And then maybe I better update that bio, which is unbelievably old. It doesn't even have Star Trek Picard on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're watching that clip. Very good. Some good acting, as always. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, speaking of good acting, so this is Cabin Boy Minute Podcast. So we have to uh, jump in a little bit on some uh, Cabin Boy questions, if you'll indulge us. Please do. Let's get go. Let's get going. <laughs> All right. So near and dear to our hearts, the 1994 cult classic film Cabin Boy. You play the character Callie who is married to an enormous giant living on the island of Hell's Bucket. So <laughs> overall, the movie Cabin Boy is a parody of the 1937 sea film Captain's Courageous. And furthermore, it's a mashup of that movie and movies featuring the stop-motion work of Ray Harryhausen from films like The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. So, I mean, best we can tell from our research, your character, Callie, is based on basically two things. There's a blue-skinned character from the seventh voyage of Sinbad known as the Kit Snake Woman, who is like painted blue, just like you are in this film. She only has four arms, though. But there is a six-armed goddess also named Callie, spelled differently, but also named Callie from the 1974 Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Oh. So, yeah. I don't think I've seen that one, but I'm sure that they, they were just, it was a everything Harryhausen-esque and mythological had been thrown into the blender. 
<laughs> Chris and Adam. That's... But I, I was a huge Ray Harryhausen fan. My brother and I loved that movie, Jason and the Argonauts. Mm. Whenever that mm -hmm. was on, we would just go crazy for it. So I remember, like, uh, I only I didn't remember this until somebody mentioned it on Facebook. Uh, somebody who worked on the crew that they were all watching Jason and the Argonauts like between scenes, and oh, right. I, I joined them because I could watch <laughs> that movie over and over and over again. It's oh, so fun. magical. I mean, in general, how did this uh, cabin boy role come about? I mean, were there auditions? I mean, can you share? Well, there was the a. Process? Yeah. I did. I had a meeting with Adam. I think my agent, I don't remember the exact beginning, but usually it was your agent tells you and like this and that. Because I might have even found out about it and requested it because I know initially they said, oh, he wants Susan Sarandon. Mm. And I thought, well, <laughs> I, no. don't think I don't think they're going to get her, but... <laughs> I just had a meeting I just had a meeting with them and we talked and and then I waited and eventually they they offered it to me so that was how that happened yeah I, I didn't mean, have to audition which was nice oh great yeah because I was wondering because it's you know it's kind of a surrealistic movie and I know your body of work has that surrealistic underpinning to it so that's what I was kind of wondering if you sought it out or or they sought you out because I don't of that. I don't know if I was sought out. I don't think right. I was, but then I can't and on this TV show, Anything But Love in the early 90s, and it, and during the late 80s, early 90s, it gotten a fair amount of press. Um, there was a far less out there, so you got noticed more than you do now. Where people get mm -hmm. noticed for 15 seconds, and that's uh, unless they keep being outrageous and more and more and more outrageous. But back then, if you were just you know, covered in a few magazines on a semi-regular basis. You were known, and so I was known to them on some level, and I'm not sure how, but anyway, it all worked right. out. And I was yeah. thrilled. I was absolutely thrilled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, do, you, do you remember what you thought of the movie, like the first time you got the script and read it? Like, what did you think about I this loved it. movie? I loved yeah. it. I loved it. I loved it. All they had to do was say Ray Harryhausen, Jason and the Argonauts. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm on board. I am so on board with this. And um, just there were some good people, a lot of good people in it. And Chris Elliott is a genius. And mm -hmm. so I was real happy about it and really happy about the costume and the wig and having blue skin. How could you not? And the actress, that was as good as being in Vulcan Death Grip, you know? Did did you get to like bring any of your own ideas to the character? Or do you recall what they how they told you they wanted you to play it? Um, I think it was pretty obvious how you play it, right. just as a femme fatale uh, in right. an old old tradition of those kinds of films. And I um, I do remember having good talks with uh, Colleen Atwood. She's the costume designer, right? Mm, yes. And and she yes. were so fantastic that I didn't have to really add anything. I did like. I think I asked for the hair that I have. I have pretty fine hair, so I'm always into wigs. So they got a really great curly red uh, ringletty thing with these wonderful pieces of the fabric that was part of the costume in it. So she just did a fantastic job. And I think I was also probably brought up some reference points of certain these these femme fatale women from quote unquote 
ancient times, circa 1950 to the early 60s, really look like kind of high fashion models if they worked at the bus station, you know. I mean, they, <laughs> right. they were kind of floozy-esque, but very glamorous. And uh, there's some of those women like in Quo Vadis, there's usually the Roman women are the real femme fatales and then the Gene Simmons or the women who get thrown to the lions or the, the meek, uh, the less glamorous type. So I think I probably, knowing how I usually operate, is I like to find source material and inspirational images and ideas and just toss them toss them to the other uh, creative people on the project and we just talk it out and we were completely on the same page so it was real easy how cool yeah i mean how, how was it to work with adam resnick as director i know this was his first really really fun yeah really fun they were really nice just super easy to work with everybody was excited about it we loved all the the prosthetics and the you know just getting fitted for all those arms with the special <laughs> effects guys right. and everybody was in my what i could tell was everybody was real positive and excited and yeah and i i don't know if you're aware <laughs> that kino lorber which is a company that distributes uh, different movies and things they put out a special edition of Cabin Boy with like behind the scenes footage. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't seen, I haven't seen that. So, I mean, there, there's a audio commentary where they have Resnick and Elliot kind of talking through the movie that you can listen to. And the whole time, you know, it's just in Adam Resnick's nature that he's kind of like self deprecating and yes. uh, he's kind of never happy with everything. So, when you came on screen, he, he does say, and I attribute this to his self-deprecating humor, he's like, I don't know she liked us that much. That's <laughs> with regard to you. Oh, I completely love them. <laughs> I no, know. I love I, them. I, think I get anything, that idea. No, I think if anything, they seemed kind of shy. Right. Well, like Maybe because it was the nature of the, the sexy gal nature of the, maybe. The, the, the creature, but they were very, you know. I, yeah, Elliot jumps in and says that, uh, you didn't like the blue paint that much, is what he was saying, because they had to sit in makeup for, you know, hours and hours, is what he was uh, well, attributing it to. No, I I loved being a, having the blue skin. I, you know, probably sitting in the chair for a while was annoying, <laughs> right. but I mean, it wasn't. I mean, movie making, you know, it is tedious. I, but I. I, I did not feel any negativity whatsoever. I was thrilled by the whole thing. It's just that the nature of making movies involves a lot of waiting around and and just stuff that's kind of a pain in the ass. But, hell, you know, it's uh, luxury problems. Yeah, I mean, and Resnick has more or less said this about every character in the movie that they... Because I think he just didn't feel, you know, whatever, confident or I know that they... Because yeah, the... you know what? Now that you mention it, a friend of mine who put together my website, he he was a big of the, of the movie, and he told me now that I remember they had been eviscerated so brutally. Yes. And but I'll tell you, I've been eviscerated. I mean, you cannot be in this business and not be eviscerated. And if you're not, you're doing something wrong. I mean, I, it's hard. It's it kills you. I mean, my God, it's it's really insane. I wouldn't wish this business on anybody. But they really got it bad. And I think it was harder for them 
because they were more, they were already working in the mainstream. I mean, I consider David Letterman mainstream, whereas right. when I would get eviscerated for something, I was just like, well, fuck them. I'll just do this band next week that I have a gig <laughs> right. already planned. You know, I mean, I'm on to the next thing anyway, which well, might mean, have right, been yeah. sort of by design as, as, a, as a defense. <laughs> but I, I love, mean, I think it is so fantastic that this movie has got such a cult following and people who love it so much for whatever reasons. But see, you, <laughs> I just, I always liked things that were, that other, that were, had been eviscerated by critics in the past. Right. And from the time period I came from, you didn't want to be, uh, you wanted to be on the outside. Outsiders were the cool people. You didn't want to do things that the squares liked. If the squares didn't like it, that you were doing something right. So that, I mean, I was benefited from some of that, but it's still brutal. It's very hard. And I know it was very hard on them from what I've read. Oh, it's, I mean, being such fans of the movie as we are, and now listening to this commentary with both of them describing it, I mean, they like legitimately are still carrying the scars from... Yeah. The aftermath of Cabin Boy. And they say they'll never work together again. Like, they are just so scarred still. And still, it's, it's like, very deal with trauma from it. Yeah. It's, it's real traumatizing. Well, let them know I can give them some names of very good trauma therapists. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't think you'd ever get uh, Adam Resnick to sit down for that. But, yeah, it's something we've suggested as well. I mean, it's such a shame, too, because like you're saying, I mean, these are the things that, you know, we love and we would love to see them work together again and create some more wild, zany stuff. And well, maybe they should do their own puppet show. I mean, you know, that's the one thing that was great <laughs> about doing that YouTube series and at the beginning, you know, I had a lot, I had a fair amount of fans watching it, and then fewer and fewer people watched it because nobody has an attention span anymore. And I just hate promoting stuff. Mm. But but it was so fun to do because there are no consequences. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares if anybody likes it? You know, and, and I didn't have to, we didn't have network notes or there's no critics. It's just, you've got, that's the essence of creativity. You've got to always have that in your back pocket when you're dealing with the mainstream world that's why i always went back to the you know the the alternative or whatever world that i was i just uh, my parents or at least the time i grew up there were all these adages like don't put all your eggs in one basket and <laughs> uh, and those things really stuck with me and i also knew that when I grew up and my dad telling me in the seventies when I was going to major in theater and film and just that it was very clear to people my age that you knew you were not going to make a living in the arts. Like that was such a rare thing. There weren't art stars. I mean, maybe there were, there were, but they were so of in a rarefied universe so that you were, I had other people I grew up with who were going to become lawyers or, you know, and, I knew that you knew that this was a gamble, but I just couldn't see myself ever being a lawyer. And um, I just didn't put all my eggs in one basket so that if, you know, one thing doesn't work out, you've got some other, you've got contingency plans. Those are pretty important. 
Yeah, and I love your attitude about, well, I'll just go make an album then. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's such a great tool to, so you're not, you know, beholden to the success or failure of any particular project. It's great. Yeah, well, you can't be because it's all so, it's such a crapshoot anyway. But it's, it, you know, in that particular time, I think they were, I, I, I could be wrong, but in, you correct me if I am, but that there was a lot of attention. See, they got a lot of attention mm-hmm. and, and they're gunning for you. They right. are gunning, they're gunning for you. I always feel like my little brushes with fame taught me, mm, no, being under the radar is better. And it was, you know, kind of operating like the Viet Cong or whack-a-mole, you know, you, <laughs> you, you, jump, you come up over here, you, you, you do your thing, and then you go back down into the tunnels and scurry away to this other part of the country. And then <laughs> right. yeah, pop I mean, back up over here and, you know, but it's a it's a really rough rough business when it's when it doesn't go your way, but my God, it's not. I mean, but come on, you know what you're gonna you shouldn't kill yourself over it. And people have, you know, people have committed suicide because of these kinds of humiliations, public humiliations or traumas. And man, that's wrong. That's well. it's not that important. But when you stick it out. You know, you stick it out, and then a new new generations come up. And I knew this from art history classes in college that there were so many artists that were vilified uh, at the time they were creating art, and later people recognized the value in what they were doing. And I was always attracted to those kinds of artists and those stories. I, I and I'm really happy to be part of one of them. This, <laughs> yeah. this happen boy story oh, it's, so, it's it's just it shows that it's it's okay getting old in fact you want to get old so you can see what's going to happen you know because it's all going to be changing nothing stays the same although i, mean, I, I yeah. think back then you know because they were in that world the comedy world was really cruel particularly back then and you didn't have the 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 internet or these other portals if you don't mind me using that that analogy again that, that you know these other avenues to explore t- for creativity yeah. i so, think one of the one of their problems too was that they had david letterman in the movie and he was yeah. self he was self-deprecating and he kept bringing it up on his late night show so you know yes. i think that just continued to keep it in the public eye so that really like put fuel to the fire and it just kind of became you know the running gag that it was one of the worst movies ever made kind of thing when it really wasn't and shouldn't have gotten that label no well so, david letterman's kind of a douche isn't he i mean <laughs> <laughs> i mean everybody needed to be more punk rock about the whole thing oh so, fuck you letterman right. y'all shove that sock monkey right up your ass <laughs> that- that mean, might be the quote you dev- on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? I mean, what? What's going to happen? I mean, are there any? Oh, I'm so scared. I'm going to be. It's not like he's listening anyhow. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> well, here's a good segue. Have, have you actually watched the full movie, Cabin Boy? Oh yeah. You have. Okay. When was the last time you saw it? You think? Oh, it was a decades ago. I don't right. even remember because well, I'm not. 
I'm not. Uh, I don't really watch myself. I'm not that keen to do that. But I am. I haven't seen it from the beginning to the end since maybe the first time I saw it. Yeah, I mean, was there any kind of like premiere or screening or something that you went to when it was first released? Yeah, I think there was. Yeah. Yeah, but I would have to dig into many boxes to find that date book to tell you when right. that happened. And I, I remember. There must have been a screening. There had to be. I mean, I think at the time I remember this, the special effects were, were kind of cheesy, but they were supposed to be cheesy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, the, the short of it is that it was originally supposed to be directed by Tim Burton and have this huge budget. Oh, then, wow. Yeah. And then he wound up making Ed Wood instead and told Adam Resnick, why don't you direct it? And That's you know, right. So they kind of slashed the budget by at least uh, two thirds and still oh. tried to make it, you know? I see. I <laughs> yeah. see. Do oh, I? well, maybe that's why I got the part and Susan Sarandon didn't because they slashed <laughs> the budget. Well, here's another quote from him in the commentary. His theory about how you were cast was that your agent must have lied to you and told you that Tim Burton was directing and you just found out too late to back out when you found out that Adam Resnick was directing. No, that, that's <laughs> right. not, no, that's not true. No, no, no. I knew he was. I met met him, and I remember that meeting. He was a really nice guy, and I felt I felt privileged to be part of it. Yeah. Again, I just feel like it's just him coloring everything with shit. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. No. My friend who helped me with my website told me that when it came out that there was just kind of an unrelenting. Yeah, doom and gloom. But I, I know I, I sympathize with him, and I believe me, I know, I know the depth of the pain that comes from being raked over the coals. But I also know that it's like I'm not going to kill myself over this. What I'm going <laughs> to let these schmucks it's get true. one over on me? Fuck that! I love it. Do you find that people still recognize you from this movie? I don't know if it's from that movie. I or mean, I don't get. Yeah, I get recognized by the strangest people in the strangest <laughs> which is fine by me because you know again under the radar. I remember in the, when I was more on television and my hair was red, and I would if I wore makeup, um, you know, bright lipstick, red lipstick, and eyeliner and all that stuff, being more fashionable in airports uh, in the nineties, it would happen. And sometimes I would get upgraded as a result. <laughs> mm, nice. <Yeah. laughs> but Anc um, Ancillary benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't, um, gosh, I, you know what? Ever since the pandemic, I don't remember what happened since February 2020. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's been such a, like, iron curtain between mm. what happened before and what's happened since. It takes a while to conjure up the memories. Right. Yeah, I mean, just as far as just some particulars of the movie, just because we're obsessed with it. Uh, yes, go not, for it. We'll do a, light, to, do a lightning yeah. round. The, did you actually do the lines with Mike Starr, who played Mulligan the Giant? Like, did you read them back and forth with him, do you remember? Because it's like a split screen, because obviously he's made as a big giant, and you're a smaller person, so it wasn't filmed at the same time, so we were just curious whether you know you were, what? Yeah. Until you mentioned it, a little while ago, I didn't even remember there was a giant. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't remember that part. Whether I must have. I mean, 
but it's possible that somebody else read the lines, but it's right. possible he was there. He may have sure. been there. Sure. So you have six arms. And, yes. You know, two of your arms are your actual arms. And then they talk in the commentary how the other four arms were like puppeted, you know, puppeteered. Uh, yes. With like people, like six guys behind you basically <laughs> controlling the arms, but they weren't like other people's arms. That no, no, they were that? my. Yeah. Oh, they were no, they were casts of my arms. Oh. Oh. Interesting. So I went, I have a good Polaroid of me. And Russ Tamlin wearing his shark fin. <laughs> and I think I might be holding one of my arms or something. Oh, my. Ooh. If you can unearth that, we'd love to see that. <laughs> yes, I should try to it remind me, email me and remind me. I'll, I'll dig around if I see. I, I think I know where uh, some of those Polaroids are. Because back then, they always everybody had Polaroid camera to, for continuity. So I had pictures with everybody I worked with that they signed. Oh, that's so cool. But then once felt these uh these dag blasted iPhones and <laughs> gadgets came into the picture, like those were gone, so I didn't i I think the last Polaroid I got was because I had to bring my own Polaroid to set. I got it with Chris Walken. No, I got one with uh with with Patrick Stewart. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's so, in the collection. It's in the collection, which one day needs to be, I don't know, at the Smithsonian, right? Definitely. In general, are there any other just like cabin boy stories or memories that you can share with us and our fans? Um, I don't, I, 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 uh, offhand, I'd say no, but <laughs> well, you're I You're standing see... with your arms, standing with Russ Tamblin and his shark fin. Like, that's a cool little uh, tale that I never... Super cool, <laughs> and it's a great image, and I'll find it and put it on my Instagram account <laughs> right. and get some more followers, um, which means nothing, of course, but... Um, except it was a thrill. I was, I mean, Russ Tamblin, West Side Story, I mean, you know, you get yeah. to meet these icons... From my growing up and watching these classic films, and then you get to meet them, and they're nice. Some of them, he was, <laughs> and that's like the. Then I would every time something like that would happen, I would think, okay, that's it. I've made it. I can go back to West Virginia. You know, <laughs> like my work is done. I just so that was that's the excitement. You know, you that's why you put up with a lot of the grief and the trauma and the the heartache that comes from from being in the business don't say the industry um <laughs> but then there's all this fun stuff you know that being at the circus and meeting these great people and my memory was that everybody was excited there was a lot of laughing there was a lot of positivity the special effects guys were really fun to, to be around and work with going to i i mean driving up to santa clarita was kind of a pain and I remember stayed over. I booked myself into a motel there because I didn't want to drive back and forth because I had this 66 Mustang oh, cool. with no air conditioning. So <laughs> if I was cranky, that was probably the only reason. But It's just such a stark contrast. You describing the filming as opposed to listening to Chris and Adam describe it. It's it's. I know, it's that's so sad. Yeah. Well, maybe they shouldn't have done the commentary. They should let me do the commentary. <laughs> Right, should, yeah. you know, that's a good point. Maybe they need to do some microdosing and 
feel, feel better about things. We, we've uh, suggested that. Yes, did you? I think I saw Chris at some point not long after that, and he seemed pretty dejected over it, which I was like, come on, it's great. Don't, yeah. let, don't let this stuff get you down. But then he was probably around too many mean comics. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to ask you something strange here. So, you know, you're this goddess in a cave in Hell's Bucket in the movie Cabin Boy, right? So the character that Chris Elliott plays, Nathaniel Mayweather, comes to you for assistance in the language of love, let's say. Yes. And you, uh, you know, put up a little fight by saying that he first has to answer the three riddles of the island. Oh, right. Yes. Now... I completely understand. We completely understand that this uh, this was many years ago, and we're not expecting you to understand or, or even uh, remember the questions or anything. I don't. But, but I thought it would be fun, because you're a performance artist, and not to put you on the spot, if we could ask you one or two of the questions, and you just answer as if you're being asked them, just for okay. the fun of it. Okay, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, so the first question you are at, uh, you asked Chris, so we're asking to you now. How does the moon greet her daughters? With some moonshine, of course. <laughs> White lightning. Love it. Which I had some of that. Me, my surprise birthday when I was seventeen, and I don't remember anything except the next morning I woke up in my friend's laundry room in a pile of laundry. <laughs> but I do think a quaalude was involved. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, question number two. Okay. What are the seven contradictions of Zaripa, watcher of the equator? Oh, the seven contradictions. <laughs> Donald, Melania, Donald <laughs> Jr., Ivanka, Jared, Baron. And Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) Very good. Thank you for (laughs) indulging us in that fun. (laughs) That's great. What were the real answers? Well, how does the moon greet her daughters? He says something like, oh, if she's a fine woman, she takes them out to lunch and, uh, you know, buys them a few bags and says, go ahead, have a good time, girls. (laughs) That's that's what he says. He doesn't actually answer them. He answers them just the same way that you just did. Oh, okay. Well, fine. All right. And I don't think my character probably didn't care because it was all music and right. and just say, "Come on over here, kid. I'll show you if you think or two." Yeah, and she mm-hmm. she she ends by saying, uh, "Well, he didn't get the answers right, but he managed to charm her with his uh, moronic innocence." So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So hopefully we're doing the same and charming you with our moronic innocence. Oh, always, dudes. Always. (laughs) It's a lot better than my audition for the Pineapple Express. Oh, yeah? What happened with that? Charming at all. No? That's another story. I better save that one for the (laughs) Pineapple Express Minute? For the Pineapple Express Minute, yes. (laughs) Right. And I... Just in general, you know, what what's some advice you would give to like somebody starting out in the business, as you say? Don't do it. That's <laughs> right. always the advice I got was don't do it. And the, yeah. anybody who really wants to do it was like, 
What does she know? She's a loser. Mm. You're just going to do it anyway. I would say diversify, get, um, get, get a, a, a good skill set under your belt and, and do it yourself. Find an empty storefront, find a basement, find the people who think the way you do or maybe don't think the way you do, but have the same kind of spirit of we're going to do this come hell or high water and put on your own shows, you know, yeah. make your own breaks, create your own platforms. Such good advice. A through line, I think, of everything I'm hearing with you, which is is awesome. Okay, well, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Well, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Really, it, it means a lot. Well, you're so welcome. It's so it's so nice to revisit certain things from the past where it was it was disappointing when the reviews came out and you know you see the one star and it's like oh no right oh god you know <laughs> but but then you know it. You just wait long enough, you're going to find the people who appreciate it. It hap I did a, um, a recording called the Joe Brythe Medley about this glam rocker, first openly gay rock star, I suppose you call him, Joe Brythe, who um, put out records in the 70s that I bought at the time, and my friend Christian Hoffman did, and we loved them. And he was vilified and raked over the coals and destroyed, destroyed, by the 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 downfall because he was hyped way too much it's right. an interesting story so we tell it using his music and it's available on my website uh, <laughs> and, and you can get it it's online somewhere streaming i'll get a, a 0. 0.0001 cent for that but it's a very interesting story they made a great documentary about it called jobriath ad and the new york times finally put out an obituary they have a thing called overlooked no more about certain people who were ignored when they died and who had mm. been cast to the dustbin of history who are now being reevaluated and reappreciated and right and it's this is it's an important thing that that a piece of work that is um trashed <laughs> when it comes out is then finds its audience and it finds its uh, an enthusiastic audience and i think that's it's as much a part of the creative process as the success stories it, in fact it should be its own course maybe i should teach a course and you know there's no such thing as failure so um i'm i'm really proud to be part of of the resurrection of cabin boy <laughs> we're proud to have you here and uh so i mean fans can follow you on twitter at ann magnuson and you have your youtube channel i mean what where else well I'm, we on, I'm, more on I'm more yeah. on instagram oh instagram okay yeah I, that that is easier and a little more it's just easier to deal with and i'm not even on that as much as most people are twitter i'm hardly ever on that i go on it sort of to see what's trending and what kind of crazy shit's going down in the world <laughs> right. but uh i have a facebook fan page that we post things on that hmm. but instagram i think is is your best bet yeah we'll put links to that in the show notes okay awesome well thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it and the pleasure's ours thank you so much mm -hmm. for being here 
Okay, well, I'm going to officially hit this button that says leave recording. <laughs> All right, take care. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you again for joining us on Cabin Boy Minute. Please help spread the word, tell your friends about us, and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice. Check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action, details on how to support the pod, or leave us a message. Or find us on Twitter at, at @cabinboyminute. Minute. We look forward to joining you again next week. Bon voyage!